you know, I'd love to dig a bit more into your sense or your take on like, well, how do we become averse to this thing we so deeply long for and want? And, and is there a way to reconcile that, that gap? Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. In early September, I was invited to the Better Relationship podcast, which is hosted by relationship coach Dolphin Casper. Our conversation was just under 90 minutes, and it was incredibly rich. We covered a lot of ground in that time. In this episode, I'm sharing a 12-minute snippet of our conversation where Dolphin and I discuss learned separation. I'm including a link in the show notes to the full episode, which aired on November 10th. Here it is. You said earlier people might actually be, I don't know if you said might, I think you said are averse to connection. And I just wanted to kind of frame that idea and then dig into it a little bit more deeply because I think anyone that is paying attention at all knows how deeply we long for meaningful, authentic connection. And in spite of all the ways we can distract ourselves from that, that that ache, I think it's inherent in us, this ache to be close in a meaningful way to one another um, isn't going anywhere. And yet, authentic connection comes with consequences. Like there are significant downstream consequences to being in real, open-hearted, authentic relationship with other human beings. And even more strikingly so if we've been living in a disconnected, kind of dissociated way of being. Because opening from that place to then open to authentic connection means everything that dissociation has done for me is now being taken away. And that is significant on the level of how how relationship shows up for us in terms of how we experience it and how painful it can be. So, you know, I'd love to dig a bit more into your sense or your take on like, how do we become averse to this thing we so deeply long for and want? And and is there a way to reconcile that that gap? Well, I I do think it has to do with uh, maybe making an inventory of the separations. And having a good, hard look at that. And in what ways have some of these separations that I've not even acknowledged, not even considered before, how are they impacting me right now? And here I am, a deeply wounded person hanging on to their grievance teddy bear and with someone who's doing the same thing. And of course, we have our own particular strategies of how we are with these, uh, are with our woundedness and with the woundedness of another person, but to be able to really be willing to tell the truth, and the truth is not always available to us either, because it's somatically held, it's culturally held, it's also uh, culturally hidden in a way, because. You know, would you be ready to do the trade-in that would be required for us to begin living in a really sane way that is connected with what the earth can tolerate? Because we're we're beyond that point. 
I believe anyway, it, it appears to me. I mean, whether it's about climate change, it, it's it's really more the fact that if you have been alive long enough, you can see how change registers and you can see how a place changes. You can see how what used to be a, a town is now a village, how what used to be acres of uh, land and maybe agricultural land is now a suburb. I mean, it happens right in front of us. So while that's continuing, we're sitting around the tables trying to figure out how we're going to manage this thing. And bring me another latte, please. Oh, and I would like to order this and off of, uh, you know, skip the dishes or whatever it is. So the, the insanity machinery keeps on going. So then if you're willing to recognize that all of this is happening, and what can you do to uh, restore some sanity in your own corner, uh, you know, in your own personal relationships, in the place you live, in the neighborhood you live, to start to, I think, live smaller, um, but at the same time, live deeper and more richly. But you have to see the price tag on things. Because when we go to the store and we see a price tag, that it doesn't tell us really what the cost of that is. It doesn't tell you who were the farmers, where was the mining done, uh, did any indigenous people lose their land as a result? Um, yeah, what's the cost of your phone? I mean, oh boy, if if you could really take that in, probably we would just go forget it. I would, I would vote for that myself. Like, let's just stop with the phones. And already, because of what it's doing to people, relationships, you're texting while you're over for dinner. What am I not here? <laughs> you know. So the desire to be present is is eclipsed by an addictive desire for connection that cannot be met by scrolling. Yeah, of course. So I hear you pointing to what I would frame as sort of voluntary blindness, where where we actually know a whole bunch about the cost of things and we sort of live our lives leaving it way in the background where it's just a whisper if we can hear it at all. Um, because it's really inconvenient. If I was really going to take take stock of, of those truths I know, that would be wildly inconvenient to my current state of, of life and, and, and my current kind of comfort zone, which, which is really, it's not the only thing at play, but I think we, under, we underplay the role our, our attachment and addiction to comfort plays in our decision-making. So, you know, all of that to say someone might be listening, wanting to know more about that historical piece for themselves, wanting to show up in a way that that more honors what matters most and simultaneously cultivates a future that has more connection in it and more meaning in it. You talked about not really being someone who like fixes. You're not you're not there to fix a problem. So what is it? Like how do we approach it? And you know, I'll leave it there. There's some pieces that I think I'll weave in as we go, but I would love to hear from you for those people on, on a more practical level, like how do we start to work with these historical pieces in us? And and what's the difference between just spinning our wheels or you know endlessly beating pillows uh, to meaningfully getting to the incomplete pieces of our past? Hmm. Beautiful question. Um, I will 
throw in a quote from somebody to just uh, add to what you have just said about, you know, are people willing to actually know or can they know or do they deny it? There was uh, an author, I think uh, maybe an educator, social critic, Upton Sinclair, who has a quote that I really appreciate. And it goes like this. It's hard to get a person to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. Okay. So I'm going to refine that a little bit because you can you can switch out the word salary and put in the word lifestyle because lifestyle is a big thing, right? So it's hard to get a person to understand something when their current lifestyle depends on them not understanding it. So first, wrestle with that one. You know, you can know things if you're willing to know them. But our own personal biases and, you know, the education system, in a way, sometimes, uh, say prohibit, but maybe don't want us to know. I don't know, because maybe we're marching towards a kind of a revolution, if you will. Um, so, so there's, there's that piece and uh, I'll just say that for myself, like where I am now and how I am when I'm working with people has changed significantly over the years because I came to my work, which was with nonviolent communication and, and having the enormous privilege and honor of being able to spend time with Marshall Rosenberg. When I was working with him, my understanding of life and the world, I would say, was much uh, smaller than it is now. So I just wanted to fix my relationships. That was it. And, you know, and have a good enough life. That was all I wanted to accomplish. And um, I never managed to to do it, by the way. (laughs) I think you... You never get to the the place, but you can learn a lot of things that will move you into a deeper way of living. So I would say that that definitely occurred. But what I noticed in my work with nonviolent communication was that is is the world becoming better because of what I'm doing, or because of what we're doing? Um, like, are a few you know, relationships that don't end in divorce, is this making the world a better place? And, okay, some might argue that, yes, it is in a, in a very small way, but I would say that the machinery of, you know, the cultural machinery and the, the progress, basically, you know, to, to do more, to have more, uh, more creature comforts. I mean, when I grew up, there was one bathroom in the house, and I have four brothers, so it was a large family. Oh, most people could not survive with it. I know you could survive with it, but most people will not tolerate it. Different language. Are you kidding? One bathroom? Even if you have two kids? This is not enough. So you can see how the having more has only increased the standard and for wanting more. So I want to be uh, alert to that. And and it was 
It was that line of questioning that got me to actually think about relationships in in a different way. I still do the work. I still return to, you know, the four steps of the nonviolent communication model, which to me is a very, uh, I would say, uh, robust framework to use to help people resolve conflict. It's very robust. The thing I would say, though, is it's not the only thing going on. It's not just you two people struggling. It's you two people living in a particular world that doesn't really care about whether you do well. As long as it's got its eye on the progress ball, it doesn't care. So this is where we come back to that quote. Um where it's hard to get a person to understand something when their salary slash lifestyle depends on them not understanding it. It's it's heartbreaking, honestly. So that's another thing I like to teach is heartbreak. It's like, maybe this isn't going to work out in the way that you thought it, it would. You can stay together or maybe not. Um, heartbreak anyway. Ah, what a place to stop. I end here on the theme of heartbreak, which Dolphin and I explore more deeply in the full episode. I encourage you to head over to the Better Relationship podcast to hear more of our engaging conversation. Again, you can find that link in the show notes. Dolphin's excellent questions provided enormously rich terrain on matters that greatly impact us both personally and collectively. I'm extremely grateful to him for our conversation. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous. Generous.